ಓಂ ನಮೋ ಭಗವತೆ ವಾಸುದೇವಾಯ ಓಂ ನಮೋ ಭಗವತೆ ವಾಸುದೇವಾಯ ಓಂ ನಮೋ ಭಗವತೆ ವಾಸುದೇವಾಯ ಶ್ರೀಮದ್ ಭಾಗವತಂ ಕಂಚೋ ತ್ರೀ ಚಪ್ಟರ್ ಟ್ವೆಂಟಿ ನೈನ್ ಟೆಕ್ಸ್ ಫಾರ್ಟಿ ಟು ಟ್ರಾನ್ಸ್ಲೇಷನ್ ಅಂಡ್ ಕಾಮೆಂಟ್ರಿ ಬೈ ಹಿಸ್ ಡಿವೈನ್ ಗ್ರೇಸ್ ಎ ಸಿ ಭಕ್ತಿ ವೇದಾಂತ ಸ್ವಾಮಿ ಪ್ರಭುಪಾದ್ ಶ್ರವಂತಿ ಸರಿತೋ ಭೀತಾರ್ಪತ್ಯುಧೀರ್ಯತ ಆಗ್ನೇರ್ ಇಂಧೇ ಸಗಿರಿಭೀರ್ out of fear of the supreme personality of godhead the rivers flow and the ocean never overflows out of fear of him only does fire burn and does the earth with its mountains not sink in the water of the universe hey wow mr scientist <laughs> no need of studying all this cosmology just one verse of bhagavatam tells you it all purport we can understand from the vedic literature that this universe is half filled with water tell that to mr scientist also on which garbho dakshai vishnu is lying tell that to him and there's more coming from his abdomen a lotus flower has grown Anyone ever see lotus flowers growing out of abdomens? <laughs> And within that stem of the lotus flower all the different planets exist. The material scientist, oh, here he is, he's come. Explains that all these different planets are floating because of the law of gravity or some other law, but the actual lawmaker is the supreme personality of godhead when we speak of law we must understand that there must be a law maker the material scientists can discover laws of nature but they are unable to recognize the law maker from shrimad bhagavatam and bhagavad gita we can know who the law maker is the law maker is the supreme personality of godhead It is said here that the planets do not sink since they are floating under the order or energy of the supreme godhead they do not fall down into the water which covers half the universe all the planets are heavy with their various mountains seas oceans cities palaces and buildings and yet they are floating it is understood from this passage that all the other planets that are floating in the air have oceans and mountains similar to those on this planet shrimad bhagavatam the principal subject is what krishna that's right yeah. and love of krishna which is known as bhakti However in the last few verses there's been discussion of fear not love for Krishna 
fear of Krishna. Yesterday, Gopi Prandana Prabhu was dilating on the phenomenon of fear in his usual learned and authoritative manner. Learned means on the basis of Shastra, according to Parampara. So I'll continue in that vein because there was a question at the end of the class which made me think about fear. So I'll continue speaking something about this fear here. Lord Kapiladev is emphasizing again and again fear. Everyone's, everyone's doing whatever they're doing out of fear of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And yesterday, Gopi Prandana Prabhu uh, was expounding on the statement of Bhagavatam, which as he indicated is an Upanishadic statement also, that this world is uh, the world of fear, this dvitiya, the second position, not the first class position, a different position, is that of fear. This whole world is permeated by fear. Now you may think, well, it doesn't seem to be like that. I mean, we don't feel afraid most of the time. We only feel afraid some of the time. It's, it's not that we're always in fear of, for instance, someone coming and hitting us on the head with an iron bar or something. I mean, you're not afraid of it. Anyone been hit on the head with an iron bar? No, I have. Just. So, it's not very nice. So, most people don't live in fear all the time. If you see cows in the western countries, they're in fear all the time. Those of you who are from the west, if you've ever seen cows, people living in cities don't see cows. Sometimes they take them on school trips outside the city to see a real cow, just like they've seen on television. They don't have them in the cities. It's not like in Delhi where the cows wander around on the street. I think they stop that in Delhi now, but most cities of India, the cows sit in the middle of the road and traffic goes around them. Fearless. They're not experiencing fear. But in the West, the cows are always full of fear because they're treated in such a nasty way all the time. They're beaten and yelled at. And so they're always full of fear. But generally we're yeah, there are some some living beings that seem to be always fearful also, just like these chipmunks that you see and you hear them also. You make a lot of sometimes they go on and on and on for like an hour or something, making so much noise. It's, nature is not necessarily peaceful. You can go to the middle of a forest and think it'll be peaceful and there'll be some chipmunks making some noise all the time. So the, uh, and also the birds, they're always, they're, they're pulling the worm out, the worm is afraid, and the bird is also looking that I'm catching the worm and the cat's going to come and catch me. So he's always afraid. 
Sadasamudvigna, always full of anxiety. But human beings, if they are according to uh, modern psychological mumbo jumbo, balanced human beings, that means they feel comfortable in material existence, which means they're insane. But if they are uh, insane in what we call a normal way, they're normal human beings, then uh, they don't feel afraid of someone coming and hitting them on the head with an iron bar, or they don't, they don't feel very afraid of physical violence all the time. But there are... <coughs> uh, yeah, but every, actually, uh, fear is one of the, if not the major normative factor to you. That's uh, sociological mumbo-jumbo. That uh, normative means uh, that which gets people to act in a, a standard way. In other words, why do we act why we do, in the ways that we do? Why do we act in what are considered normal ways? Well, uh, a major factor is that we're afraid of people thinking that we're not normal. Because some people deliberately act in a way not to be normal because they don't want to be normal. But even all the people who act in a different way, they all act, they tend to act in a different way, all in the same way. Just like in our generation or a little before me, all the hippies grew, they wanted to be different. So they all grew their hair long and wore flowers in their hair and wore funny clothes. They all look pretty much the same. And now in modern India, they, they, they want to be different from what they used to be. So they all wear blue jeans. And they're all different in the same way. So, well, there's an example right there. When this was first coming in, about 20 years ago or something, in India, that the young girls wore tight jeans and tight T-shirts. And it was very daring to do so at first in the cities because it was considered uh, low-class, vulgar, and all these things which it actually is. But nowadays, uh, the young girls, if they don't dress like that, if they want to wear the salwar kameez, which is in most of India is the normal dress for, or was the normal dress for young girls then, which is more chaste, because it doesn't reveal the body in the way that the tight clothes are specifically designed to do so, then, uh, well, they don't want to do so because they're afraid that everyone will think there's something wrong with them because they're not dressed in the normal way. That they're, they'll be called old-fashioned, which is considered very bad. And... People base their whole lives on, they, they, they base their whole lives on fear of being criticized by others. Just like in India, among much of the population, there's tremendous pressure from the moment the child pops out of the womb to that this child should be what they call a success. 
Then they have to uh, go to kindergarten and pre-kindergarten and they have to study. And you see the children in India going to school with mountains of books and then they, they go to school and Sometimes you'll see, I remember in one place I was staying in South India, early in the morning, chanting my Japarat, 5.30, and then as soon as it's light, you see on the opposite side of the road, on the roof, on the terrace of the roof, there's classes going on, because there's tutorial, tuitions going on before school, and then they come back from school, and then they get more tuitions. And so they're well programmed to study for about 12 hours a day because that trains them up for working 12 hours a day in a good job. Because if you don't study 12 hours a day, then you can't work 12 hours a day and you won't have the qualifications to have a good job. And you won't be a success. You will be a failure. So what is the main reason for wanting to be a success? As, as I said, it's not so much that people will praise you and that people will... Uh, uh, you can enjoy living in an expensive you know, one-craw pigeonhole on some skyscraper building and drive a, you know, have a fast... have an expensive car to get stuck in the traffic jam with... <laughs> It's not so much for the money earned, but it's the, it's the fear of being called a failure. That's the, the pleasure derived from being a so-called success is not as much an incentive as the fear of being called a failure. Say bad, Danton. Mataji is smiling. I don't know if she understands what I'm saying. Probably not a success. English speaking is required to be a success. <laughs> if you don't speak English in India, you're not a human being, really. <laughs> Although now with all the reservations for the tribals, what language are you going to speak in the Lok Sabha? You don't know. You have to speak some tribal languages or something. Anyway, they don't even know Hindi. Nowadays, they're probably all wearing T-shirts and jeans and driving fast cars with all the reservations and everything. So uh, the, the fear of being a failure, that's, uh, that's also one major reason why parents don't want their sons to join ISKCON as brahmacharis, because then people will, they'll criticize them. That, oh, you see, your son joined. That means they weren't happy at home. There must have been some problem at home. Or, he's a failure. He couldn't study properly, couldn't get a good job. And that's why he joined. That's, that's happened sometimes. If someone wants to join and, and the other devotees say, well, why do you want to join? You have a good job. And that's only for people who can't get a good job. So, the f being a failure, it's a, the, being scorned, the fear, it's fear, which is a, a major factor in our lives, how we behave.
We're always afraid. I'm sitting, I'm not saying any shlokas because I'm afraid I'll forget them. And then, as I usually do. And then, uh, you know, people will think, well, they'll get to know what an idiot I am. There's a saying that, uh, why, why do people behave properly? There's a saying that a Brahmana is 100% a Brahmana when he's in the temple. 50% a Brahmana at home because then there's only his family to see him and he doesn't have to be like a well-behaved Brahmana. He can shout at the kids and put his legs up and say a few bad words or whatever. And when he's, at, and when he's alone in the forest, he's a Shudra. Because there's no one there to see him. That's the saying. And uh, actually fear. We see, we see that uh, fear is what keeps people in check. Keeps criminals in check. Just like that. Just like in New Orleans, when there was the uh, the law and order had broken down, and then all the places were robbed, and there was no there was no fear of any police, and then they sent the home guards in to shoot people, and then the crime stopped. So, what keeps people acting properly is fear, either fear of a bullet or fear of being uh, disparaged by others. So it's a very strong motivating factor. Fear. And here it's stated in this series of verses that everyone and everything in the universe is acting out of fear of the law of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So it's a very strong emotion. I mean, we, we don't just like a, we don't even think about it a lot of the time. Like we don't act in crazy ways because we're af we're afraid that people will call us crazy, or we act in the way that we ex everyone expects us to act because we don't want to be considered unusual. So that fear is there, but there also there's gross fear, just like I was giving the example of. Uh, if someone comes, rushes at you with an iron bow and with a nasty look on their face and then you become afraid, they're going to attack me. Or sometimes there's a sudden sound, just like last night at the Goshala at quarter to three in the morning, there was shooting, sounded like that to me, and there was shouting and maybe there was some dacoit attack or something. So that, Here in India, it's uh, common, you can just be walking along the street and all of a sudden there's a very loud, loud sound. Someone's setting off some crackers. And if you're not expecting it, you hear, or, what's going on? And then instantly you feel, that at least for a second, until you realize some kids or not so small kids maybe are setting off some crackers and, there's a feeling of fear. And uh, it's maybe difficult for us to imagine sitting in this comfortable situation, 
fearless, but uh, if all of a sudden there was an attack or there's an earthquake or something very fearful, then our emotions would change. And fear, it's it's very strong. Fear of fear of death. It's often people say to we're not. Af- I'm not afraid of death. They say, but when it actually comes, then we'll see because. Uh, fear, like I say, it's very strong emotion. I saw those of you who have seen the uh, the uh, film of John F. Kennedy being shot. Has anyone seen that? It's quite famous footage. You'll see that. Uh, well, he gets shot. And then his wife, who was sitting next to him just a second before, you know, very regal, and the wife of the president, and, you know, being cheered by everyone, and all of a sudden she's, you know, she doesn't care about her husband. She's crawling, trying to get out of the car because she's afraid she's going to, she forgot everything. She's the wife of the president. She's on TV in front of thousands or millions of people, and her husband's just been shot dead. She didn't care a damn about her husband. She was just trying to get out of the Get out, get to safety. She was com- all of a sudden completely overcome by fear. So we can see what a, it's a very strong feeling and it, 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 it permeates the whole of material existence. And it's not very pleasant. Although, as Gopi Prandhan Prabhu was pointing out yesterday, some crazy people, they go to see horror movies just so that they can experience fear. It's very difficult to understand that, why people do that. Some, maybe because it's an intense emotion and just the fact that it's intense, even though it's not directly pleasurable, people, people want some intense feeling. Uh, yeah, it's unpleasant. And it's based on uh, fear that I'll, I'll, my body will be harmed or people... It, it's based on... Dif- difficult to define it without using the word fear. It's, fear is based on the fear... It is the fear of... Uh, one being harmed, harm will come to me, either gross in the form of physical pain or more subtle in that people will uh, criticize me or very strong fear, the fear of death. I'll lose everything. In Bhagavad Gita, the Lord, Lord Krishna says, what is that? Sambhavitasya chakirti maranad atirichyate. He says that worse than death is being dishonored. So for a kshatriya, he doesn't fear death so much. Fearless people, they go into a battle. How many of us are ready to go up with all people shooting arrows at you and ready to kill you. But they'll do, they'll do that rather than be called a coward. 
There are so many stories from Rajasthan of the the Rana or the king comes back to his fortress having retreated from the battle comes back to his city and finds it closed and he's not allowed in. So he has to, because the queens won't allow him in because they're you can, you're not allowed to run away from the battle. We don't, you, I'm your, let me in, I'm your husband. You're not my husband. My husband doesn't come back from a battle. He either conquers or dies. So they all had to go back and uh, die. And then all the queens had to die also because that's the system. They had to burn themselves rather than be, when their husband dies, they have to die. And otherwise they'll be uh, dishonored by the Muslims, attackers, or whoever they may have been. So for Kshatriyas, dishonor, their, their honor is more to them than their very life. But generally, uh, the fear of death is very strong. Either way, it's fear. The fear of dishonor or the fear of death. That fear of dishonor for the Kshatriyas, that also comes because that... Uh, if they, in battle, if they don't conquer, or they either, they should either conquer or die. That's their dharma. And if they don't, if they run away, then they're sinful. And they have to suffer the consequences. So again it comes to fear. They're afraid that in, instead of going to heaven, they'll go to hell. So this Fear, which Kapila Dev is pointing out, is permeates all of material existence. But then the question came. I was mentioning that the came question came at the end of class yesterday. Well, what about the gopis or the inhabitants of Vrindavan when Arishtasura, for instance, entered Vrindavan, and they were afraid? It's described that they were afraid. But a fear is a symptom of the material world. So Gopi Pranadhan Prabhu was explaining, well, that's, it's fear, but it's a completely different kind of fear. It's, it's, we can't equate it with mundane fear. So I was thinking about that. What is, how could they be afraid? What kind of fear were they feeling? What is the, what is the fear of the residents of Vrindavan when Krishna, who, Fear personified is fear or afraid of. He's personally present. Then what are they afraid of? How can they be afraid? So fear in material existence, that is fear of harm to one's body, the pain one will suffer. But the gopis, they don't have that fear because they're to alleviate Krishna's pain, there's the well-known story of Krishna supposedly having a headache. And the gopis are prepared to suffer in hell for unlimited lifetimes. To remove Krishna's pain, they're prepared to accept any amount of pain. So they're not afraid. And anyway, their bodies are completely spiritual, although they don't sit down and talk about it philosophically. So, 
What are they afraid of? Are they afraid of losing their reputations? They're not afraid of that because that's the whole gist of Gopi Leela, that they gave up their good reputations to go with Krishna. So what are they afraid of? What is their fear? Well, I can only speculate here, but... Uh, well, as Prabhupada said, there's philosophical speculation, so others could add their speculation also. <laughs> but uh, fear in this material world is based on identifying oneself with this material world. All emotions, not just fear, all emotions are based on identification with this body and identifying oneself as part of this material world. And one is afraid of losing what one has, the, the fear of death, that you'll lose your whole identity. And uh, all emotions in spiritual existence are based on identifying oneself as the servant of Krishna and everyone is doing everything for the pleasure of Krishna. So the only possible fear, just like we don't, when we're afraid someone comes rushing at us with weapons or there's an earthquake and we don't start to logically think, now I'm going to lose everything, but we just experience fear because we're afraid the whole situation is going to change in a, in a very bad way. So similarly, the devotees, they, are, they don't think about it philosophically all the time, just like we don't think all the time that, I have, here I am and I have my wife and my home and my children and my friends and my family. We don't think about it all the time, but our identity is, or our mistaken identity is cast in all these factors. Ato griha kshetra sutabti vitaya janasya moho yamahammameti. This is our illusion, identifying with all these things. So the devotee identifies Pure devotee, Amitu Tomar Tumito Ama. I am yours, you are mine. So, uh, by the arrangement of Yoga Maya, it appears that a demon like Keshi or Arishta, they're going to disturb all that. They're going to kill Krishna or kill the, or even the gopis may be afraid. They're going to kill me. And if I'm killed, then Krishna won't, I, I, Krishna won't get the pleasure that he gets from seeing me or from being with me. So it's all Krishna-centered fear. And as Gopi Prandhan Prabhu was saying yesterday, it's very difficult for us to understand this. The, the emotions that we, everything in this material world, they are perverted reflections of everything in the spiritual world. So, fear is also there in spiritual existence. And what we experience is fear. It is a reflection of that which is in the spiritual world, but it is a perverted reflection. It's self, all the emotions in this material world are self-centered. And fear is very prominent because when there's fear, we, be, we become very much self-centered. That example of there, 
Jacqueline Kennedy. She forgot the whole world around her and was because she identified the body as the self and she was just concerned with saving what she considered to be herself from the th- from the threat. But uh, the residents of Vrindavan, their fear, that is pure fear. All their emotions are completely pure because it's completely completely centered on Krishna. Well, if this, if this demon comes and then kills any of the Vrajvasis, then Krishna will be so unhappy. Or if he kills Krishna, then that's unimaginable. I mean, in, of course it's impossible, but the, the very thought of that is... Uh, cause of fear. So the fear that Kapila Dev is explaining here is it's also a Krishna centered fear. But it's it's based on the position of Krishna as the supreme lawmaker. That the rivers flow the wind blows, the fire burns out of fear of him. That means he's the lawmaker and if we don't do what we're supposed to do, then we'll suffer. So it's Krishna-centered. No, it's not Krishna-centered. It's self-centered but with acknowledgement of Krishna. So it's religion in the mundane sense that we we do what we have to do because if we don't we'll be punished by god and if we do what god wants us to do then we'll be rewarded by him so this is the position of religionists but the adherence to religion but the uh, yeah, that's still on the platform of mundane fear, but it's becoming better because it's linked with Krishna. But on the platform beyond the mundane or the true, original, pure position, all emotions are there, but simply centered on, everything is simply centered on how to satisfy Krishna. So Srimad Bhagavatam is treatise on Krishna, on love for Krishna. It's uh, presented here in the material world and it provides the means by which we can come from our material perspective to the spiritual perspective, the material perspective, aham memeti, I, me, and mine. The spiritual perspective, I am Krishna. Krishna is a, the material perspective, Ishvaraham. I am the controller, I am God. And the spiritual perspective, Krishna's too, Bhagavan Swayam. So the Srimad Bhagavatam takes us from material consciousness to spiritual consciousness and 
then we'll un- then we can understand everything in the proper perspective so it is very very difficult for us at present to understand how there can be fear in the spiritual world because we can only imagine fear in relation as we know it in relation to our existence as we know it but from Srimad Bhagavatam we should know that our existence as we know it is not as we should know it. It's not real existence. Real existence is with Krishna. Living only for Krishna. Living only for the pleasure of Krishna. So all emotions, whether apparently favorable or even apparently unfavorable, they are, uh, if centered on Krishna... They are real emotions and they are pure and they're just like in material existence the substratum of everything is distress. Everything is permeated with distress. So fear, because it's an intense, intense emotion, it's intensely distressful. But in the spiritual existence all emotions are intense and everything is perme- is under the substratum of everything is pure bliss in love for Krishna. So even the fear is blissful. It's very difficult for us to understand. Now there's another kind of fear centered on Krishna, just like Kangsa. He was also his he was fearful and his fear was absolutely centered on Krishna. But it's completely different from the fear of the gopis whose fear apparently the the object of Fear was Arishtasura or Keshiasura, any of these demons. But in, with Kangsa, his object of fear was directly Krishna. But that was that is not laudable because the uh, no, the subject of fear, the the Vishay or the the subject of fear is Krishna, and the the Ashray of fear was himself, just like about Krishna, it said that he's the subject of Prem and the Ashray are the devotees. The, the, the Prem is in the devotees. So, but he was, he was considering Krishna to be his enemy and he was considering himself to be his body and he considered himself to be the king of Mathura. And he was afraid that Krishna would upset that whole situation by killing him, which of course Krishna did. So his fear, although it was centered on Krishna, that is not glorious, that is not bhakti. Because it was for the sake of sense gratification, just like even the religious people even the demigods being described here, they, their fear is of Krishna, but their ultimate aim is sense gratification. But still there's difference between the, the fear of the demigods of Krishna and the fear of Kangsa of Krishna, because Kangsa was directly a competitor of Krishna. He wanted to take the usurp the position of Krishna, whereas the demigods... They accept Krishna's supremacy and they, they, don't, they generally don't have a problem with that. They're, they're quite willing to accept that as long as they get their, their share of sense gratification. 
whereas the pure devotees are characterized by no personal desire whatsoever. So that's the difference. So fear is there. It's always, there's, there's never going to be a situation where there's fearlessness. We say, Bhajahure no fear. That means there's no fear of material existence. But then when one becomes fully Krishna conscious, there's another kind of fear, which is the, uh, the fear that we may be separated from Krishna. The fear that Mother Yashoda is very afraid Krishna will be harmed. The gopis are afraid Krishna is walking in the forest and the pebbles will hurt his feet. There's another kind of fear. The only place where there's no fear is Vaikuntha. <laughs> but then the, the love is also not so great. In Vaikuntha you can't go up to Narayan and embrace it. That's described in Brihad Bhagavatamrita. Gopakuma, he saw, Oh my Lord, oh! And he pushed him away. What are you doing? You can't do that. You can't go and embrace him. So there's no fear. There's no fear whatsoever. But the love is, all, the fear is concomitant with love because love means strong attachment. And with that strong attachment, there's always the fear that we're going to lose that. So it's always there. There's. All right, I'll finish there. Nine o'clock. For fear of being criticized, of <laughs> making the class too long, I'll be a good boy today and finish on time. Hare Krishna. Is there any question? And that could extend it. Everyone's trying to find a loophole. How to break the law without suffering the consequences. Hare Krishna, thank you. Hare Krishna. I'm a little afraid to ask the question, but... <laughs> yeah, you better be careful. <laughs> If it's a stupid one, I'll tell you. <laughs> It seems... I was afraid to give class, because last time I gave class here, the... I just spoke on the purport and it was a heavy purport and then I got so much flack afterwards. I wasn't afraid exactly, but... It, it, it seems... It but seemed, I was reluctant. Anyway, go on. It seems like fear is the root cause of many of our anarthas. We are afraid to be... to don't have food. We are afraid to yeah. don't have shelter. Yeah. Oh, that alone. made me think of something. Anyway, ask your question. We are afraid to be alone, so that's why we want to be with someone. Yeah, in devotional life also, there's. I have to go to Mongolati. Why? Not because I want to see Krishna, but if I don't, I won't get breakfast. <laughs> Or I have to keep up my reputation as a good brahmachari. So. If, uh, if I don't go, then they'll, they'll say, you're not a good brahmachari. When you take sannyas, you don't have to bother because they, they, think, they think you're transcendental, so you don't have to bother going. <laughs> you don't have to bother going to Mongolati. <laughs> yeah. That's the solution. So, uh, take sannyas and you can be completely outrageous. <laughs> of course, you have to get criticized on the internet. But, uh, 
so when so when we understand that everything belongs to Krishna and yeah. Krishna will protect us and if we surrender to Krishna so then we kind of we give up fear material fear material yeah. fear we give it up theoretically at least but uh, if I, but again if someone throws a some fu- fireworks or something all of a sudden you may, you may feel fear momentarily but at least theoretically we give up fear yeah when we when we understand that when we not only understand but fully internalize or realize that krishna is protecting us and anyway what is this body it's not me anyway then we become fearless as srila prabhupad was for instance we described that during the japanese bombing of calcutta his relatives were calling him to take shelter in the bomb shelter but prabhupada said i just finished i just started taking prasadam he said let me finish the prasadam then i'll go he said he saw the bombs as krishna in another form that's pretty advanced isn't it we wouldn't see like that at least i wouldn't So yeah that's that's this how to overcome fear is by accepting that Krishna is protecting me rakhe krishna mare ke mare krishna rakhe ke krishna is protecting me if krishna protects one who can kill him if krishna wants to kill you then you can't be no one can protect you so then if we understand i'm not the body then what is to be feared on behalf of the body yeah there's another question there's another point on that uh, what is the rupa goswami says guhyama khyati prichati revealing one's mind in confidence now usually we take that that we don't want to tell people about all the bad things we're doing and all the bad things we're thinking and then you have to go and tell someone and get it off your chest so to speak is not we don't want to tell that well actually i look like a very good devotee but actually inside i hate all the devotees i'm envious of them all and uh you know, i look like a good brahmachari but really you know i'm uh, not so we're afraid we don't we don't want to tell everyone so it's a great act to reveal one's mind in confidence to someone who we trust isn't it that's why we say revealing one's mind it's usually we keep so many things inside we don't want to say because we're afraid oh, what will people think but actually this guhyamakyati prichati as i understand it's it's not maybe it's meant for that also but it it may not necessarily mean that we tell all the bad things in our heart it can also mean that the highly advanced devotees they reveal some intimate points of understanding krishna that they don't reveal it to everyone just to those who are qualified is is discussion of krishna katha you don't you don't go to everyone and start talking about the uh inner points or higher higher subjects of krishna consciousness but you may reveal to someone some realizations there was another question 
Thank you Maharaj for your wonderful discussion. Wonderful. What was wonderful? What in What incited wonder in you? So you're sitting. It's an often used word. Adbhutaras. When we're when we're overcome by wonder then we should be just like this. What's going on? So Maharaj you explained about the spiritual emotion of fear. How the spiritual this fear is... emotion of fear, yeah. So uh, I have this query that uh, when we talk of spiritual uh, relation, then there has to be no expectations. There has In spiritual to... relation, there is no expectation. So uh, when we talk of fear, fear comes when you have some expectation. Yeah. So how the gopis, when they are totally detached internally, although they are attached to Krishna. Yeah, they are attached to Krishna, that's right. But at the same time, they don't expect anything. So uh, like the pure devotee, he is expecting that whatever is happening is by the will of Krishna. So where is the cause yeah, of... But, but, yeah, when you say they don't expect anything, that's, that's the underlying principle. But as I was saying, that the... The gopis are not making philosophical calculations in their mind at every moment. When they don't expect anything means they act only for the pleasure of Krishna. And uh, therefore they dress very nicely. They dance with Krishna. They want to be with Krishna. You say we don't expect anything. Well, it's not so uh, detached also that... I don't expect anything from Krishna, so all right. So I'll, I, I'll never have to see Krishna. I never have to. I'll just serve him, like working in a factory, and you never see the boss. And the difference is that in Krishna praying, that in a factory you get money, and in in the spiritual world, the boss just enjoys the money, but you don't have to see him. It doesn't matter whether you see him or not. You're not so. The, the devotees want to see Krishna, be with Krishna. If for the sake of serving Krishna better, they'll, they won't do that. But he also wants to see them. And therefore, and they want to see him. It's not just like, you know, they're, they're, you know we're just so completely detached that we don't, you know, it's, it's very much full of emotion. And the relationship means that there is some expectation, isn't there? If you're just completely neutral, and then, uh, how are you going to get the incentive? Just like the wife is supposed to cook for the husband. I heard that today. Prabhupada said. So, heard that? The wife is supposed to cook for the husband. But she also expects some affection from the husband and some money from the husband. All these kinds. There's a reciprocation. It's not just that she cooks and puts it down with a straight face. And, <laughs> Give me the money. There's some extra. There's some. The the activities. They are on on the basis of activities. There is reciprocation. Otherwise, how is there laughing and dancing and joking and calling each other bad names in fun. That, that has to, relationship means interaction. So there is expectation. When you say there's no expectation, it's true. There's no, 
It, there's no demand, or there's no, uh, well, there is demand also. But, uh, well, that's the difference between Rukmini and Radha, isn't it? So which is more pleasing to Krishna? So Krishna isn't, or the, the, uh, the gopis, they're not philosophizing about it, that I have to act as if I'm upset with Krishna and then he'll be pleased. But that's the, it's completely internalized. It's completely their mindset. They're doing everything only for the pleasure of Krishna. But uh, for the pleasure of Krishna, they may expect something from him also and then be upset with him if he doesn't do as they expect, which he always does. He always does as they don't expect. Most of the time, it seems. Did you understand that? No. Well, it's not very easy to understand, is it? I'm only talking. It's, it's easy to talk. But because we, our mindset, we are, in a, we are in the world of calculation. I do this, I get this. I chant my rounds, I'll get prema. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, ding! That's what we think. That's our way of thinking. I'll go on chanting and someday, you know, it's going to happen. I'll hit the jackpot. But it does, there's no calculation. That's the mistake. We think we can measure Krishna. iti maya. That's the meaning of maya. To calculate. When we go beyond calculation then we can enter into the spiritual world, beyond Vaikuntha. That's why Prabhupada said so many times, he would ask, is it like this in the spiritual world? This, the. Prabhupada said, you go there, then you'll see. So That's why you see, in, in just like in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, it's established that these emotions, and throughout the Bhagavatam, and it's always established that this, these emotions of the devotees and of the Supreme Lord Himself, they are Ananda Chinmaya Rasa, they are completely spiritual and blissful. I can't forget. you see, I forgot it. Yatabuddhis Tadashraya. Both the Supreme Lord and His devotees, they're above the three modes of material nature. So it stresses again and again that the Supreme Lord and His devotees, they're not material, they're not influenced by mundane lust, greed, anger, etc. Always the stress is there. It's a completely different thing. What it is exactly, well, you have to experience it. Philosophically, it's established. It's not mundane. There's no question of selfishness. What it is, well, we have to experience it. It's not just like that example, the taste of honey. You, well, Prabhupada gave the example, what does, uh, what does jackfruit taste like? And then the answer was given, it tastes like sugarcane juice strained through a Muslim's beard. <laughs> Did that help anyone to understand what it means? The example doesn't help <laughs> because you can't imagine what 
sugarcane juice strains through a Muslim's beard tastes like. So that's why all this discussion of rasa and that's first there comes discussion of tattva, what is philosophy. Try to understand the point. Try to understand understand A B C and then we'll come to discussing poetry later. So like that in any subject. First study mathematics, then classical physics, then quantum physics. Not that you start off with all these abstract stuff. So Hare Krishna. I'm well over time. Hare Krishna. All glories to